Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Thank you so much. Uh, before I turn things over to uh, Brown Roshi, I just want to say I'm a little concerned about the sound. So if anyone has difficulty, do the ear pointing thing and I'll try to get Brown Roshi to move right close to the microphone. Uh, also, we do have one uh, open seat. If there's someone on the waiting list who would like to come in, um, now's your chance. Uh, first come, first serve. Without uh, further ado, um, I turn the kitchen over to uh, Chef Brown. Good morning. Uh, good day. Good day. Good evening. <laughs> I think this is the first I've been called Brown Roshi. Um, you know, I do have a Buddhist name too, Chusan Kaine. Um, the Kaine is uh, Peaceful Sea. So my group is called the Peaceful Sea Sangha. Uh, the Chusan is Longevity Mountain. Uh, Suzuki Roshi told me, you will be like a mountain surrounded by a sea of peaceful people. So, um, thank you, C, for being here today. <laughs> uh, my zendo here is called Yoshinji, and that's for Nourished Heart Zen Temple. Uh, and my aim is to, um, you know, for us to meet in our hearts. Uh, and in that sense, I appreciate uh, Dogen's expression, uh, let things come and abide in your heart. Let your heart return and abide in things. You know, it's not uh, our usual way in the Western world, which is more involved with, um, you know, how to be masterful and how to, um, you know, have things do what you tell them and how to create a good picture or image. you know, that will sell, uh, so to speak. So this uh, backward step that we take in Zazen to turn the light inward is, um, you know, more about, uh, more to do with um, letting things touch our heart and letting, and understanding how to put our heart into our life. So in that sense, I appreciate it very much, um, you know, saying on, um, you know, one of Jindo's website things, you know, everyday life, um, Life in the world is uh, the temple. Um, this, so uh, I appreciate this very much, and this is my feeling about cooking or any moment of our life when we um, can uh, be in touch with our heart, let things touch our heart, and have our heart go out into our activity, into our expression, uh, into the world uh, in various ways. Pretty sweet. Uh, so um, I wanted to tell you some stories today. Um, most of them are in my book. Um, and uh, so, but it's fun to tell them firsthand. And uh, so to start with, I want to tell you uh, about when I first started making biscuits. Uh, back away. Um, 
it was probably, you know, 1966 or 67, I tried making biscuits. And my biscuits didn't come out right. So I decided to um, try making them with water instead of with milk. They still didn't come out right. So I thought, well, maybe the problem is that I have eggs in the biscuits and I should leave the eggs out. So I tried making the biscuits without the eggs. They didn't come out right. Then I tried, um, I thought, well, maybe it's the butter. Um, maybe I should make them with Crisco. <coughs> so I made biscuits with Crisco. They still didn't come out right. So about this time, I started, um, it occurred to me, you know, right compared to what? <laughs> and I realized, oh, I grew up with Bisquick biscuits and Pillsbury biscuits, and my biscuits didn't taste like manufactured biscuits. <laughs> so, um, uh, and, you know, the Bisquick biscuits, you took the mix out of the, bo the box and put it in the bowl, and then you stirred in milk. And then you just, uh, with a fork, and then you just, you didn't even roll out the dough. You just took a, uh, you took your fork and then picked up a scoop of the dough and, and slapped it onto the pan. Um, and, you know, blop, I said blop it onto the pan. And the pillowberry biscuits, of course, you bang the can on the corner of the counter and then you twisted it open. You took up the biscuits and put them on the pan. You didn't need to grease the pan in either case. And then you, um, you bake them. And uh, in my world, you know, those were biscuits. So then I thought, oh, oh my, um, why don't I taste the biscuits of today? So then I made these biscuits again that had uh, butter and milk and um, eggs. Um, and there's a technique to them of rolling, rolling out the dough. It's in my first book, you know, flaky high-rise biscuits. And then you fold the dough over, and so it's, it becomes uh, more and more layered. Uh, so I tasted the biscuits, and they were uh, light and flaky. They melted in your mouth. They were ethereal. They were heavenly. They were also, they, was, it was wheat. they were weedy and, and earthy. There was sun. They were sunny, earthy. Um, in the poem by Rilke, he says, um, uh, the poem ends, you know, um, you know, dare to taste what apple truly is, the sweetness that feels thick, dark, dense at first, then exquisitely lifted in your taste goes clarified, awake, luminous, double meaning, sunny, earthy, real. Oh, knowledge, pleasure, joy, immense. So this is uh, my biscuits. Uh, the biscuits of today were like this. Uh, they were so alive. And then when you taste something that carefully today, then you also wake up. You become alive. Uh, something has uh, touched your heart. You've given your heart. You've allowed your heart to be touched. And your heart goes out to things. And then, and then you feel this connection um, and warm-heartedness. And you've nourished your heart, and um, when you serve those biscuits to others, you nourish their heart, their heart. So over all these years, the more I think about it, the more I realize that, oh my gosh, so much of my life I've tried to make, um, you know, uh, the biscuits uh, from yesterday.
So pretty early on, I realized, you know, like I, I, I thought if I practiced Zen, I could grow up. You know, because people had always told me, you know, don't be such a baby and uh, grow up. And uh, if I may, I would take a little a sidetrack here, a little tangential. But, you know, I started associating this with, you know, when I was little, um, my mom and dad um, used to call me Eddie Bear. So, you know, not Brown Roshi, but Eddie Bear. And... The Eddie Bear was not, it was one word, one word, and no capital, no capital, because if you have a capital on the name, then it's somebody over there, and it's like, it's this object, it's this, you know, you've already turned into an object, and, um, but Eddie Bear is closer than close, and so, one of the, you know, the, the most lovable, adorable person you could ever, you know, hope to be, and and not at all distant or, you know, uh, big, but just completely lovable. And but then, of course, when mom and dad are upset, they would say, "Edward Bear, your room is a mess. You've got to clean it up. And you're talking too much. You've got to quiet down. Shut up. Don't talk so much. Don't sing. Don't laugh. Stop that." Um, so then you start to wonder. I started to wonder. You know, well, what happened to Eddie Bear? You know, this sweetheart, I'm actually a sweetheart and, and nobody seems to know. And they're telling me to grow up and shape up. And, you know, and then if you get to, and then I thought, well, if I practice Zen, then surely this will help me to become this Eddie Bear person. Well, it doesn't, you know, then it's just like, no, then you need to this and you need to that. And you should. And that's not, that's no way to chant. But, and then you can never do it well enough you know, to actually become something. All along, you're just a sweetheart. And um, anyway, so um, when it came to making the biscuits of today, then I realized I've been trying to make a, you know, an Edward or a Chusan Kaine or a Zen person or a grown-up. I try and become, I will become a spiritual. And then if I become spiritual enough, surely... People will love me. But all those things I could become, they, they never they never said, oh, thank you. It's so sweet of you to, to be like that and to do those things. And wow, I, I, I feel my own preciousness when I look at you. People don't say that. They just say, not good enough. And, um, and of course, if you're, if you're involved in performance like this, then you're, of course, even a brief success. And then people say, you're only as good as your last performance. It needs to be better tomorrow. <laughs> so, so the problem with trying to grow up and stop being a baby was, I, you know, and then, um, and then you start examining yourself. Am I grown up enough? I start, you know, and, the, and then I start thinking, like, well, what do I need to do to be more grown up? And then every time I was, you know, something would happen and I would be upset or people would be upset with me. And no, maybe again, I need to grow up. And then the more I was, um, I found out that I was like a baby, the more I was like a baby and I behaved like a baby. So it to try to grow up. And at some point I had to, with my own life, start tasting the biscuits of today which is just, you know, practice, of course, but tasting the biscuits of today 
tasting, you know, um, my sensations, thoughts, feelings, you know. And um, I came across a wonderful saying by uh, 10K, um, the Zen Master 10K. I think he's, what, 17th century or something, 18th century Japan. And he said, see with your eyes, smell with your nose, taste with your tongue. Nothing in the universe is hidden. What else would you have me say? And of course, what you want him to say is, tell me how to make it the way it should be. Tell me how to make a masterpiece, how to make myself into a masterpiece, how to make myself into, you know, a grown-up, how to make the biscuits the way they should be. How do I do that? You know, and of course he says, um, you know, there's not enough milk and sugar in the universe. And, and this is an upside-down idea to try to make things according to some old recipe, you know, according to some old picture of your life that you are carrying along with you and trying to bring into reality. So this is, of course, leading to history. Um, when we were, um, she was there, and um, we've been eating outside. And the first practice period in 1967 uh, was July and August. Since then, we stopped having practice periods in the heat of summer. And we have them in the fall and in the winter. Uh, I mean, the fall, yeah, and then it's winter, spring. Um, <clears throat> and um, so when we first started out, we hadn't been eating in the zendo. In the first uh, zendo, we've been used to, if you sit at a, like a picnic table and you have six or eight people sitting at the table, then you can have, you know, milk and sugar on the table for everybody to share. And we used to serve uh, milk, and we might have even served half and half, and then some people said, oh, but we like canned milk. We should be able to have canned milk. And we had white sugar, and then some people said, well, white sugar is bad for you. We should have brown sugar. And then some people didn't want white sugar or brown sugar, so we had honey. And then there, then there were people who said, well, we, we, we want molasses. So this is our world, you know. Um, have it your way. Now it's even a slogan for McDonald's or Burger King or something, somebody, Wendy's, have it your way. And, uh, and a friend of mine, actually one of um, my sometimes students, just went to a coffee shop and he said it was so bright and light and sterile feeling. And then there wasn't just a choice of the usual um, 13 or 15 or 20 drinks, there was 50. And you could have, and then there was a choice of uh, milk and 1%, no fat milk, 1% milk, 2% milk, milk, half and half, cream, and then almond milk, soy milk, hazelnut, oat, you know, any kind of milk you wanted. <laughs> and then you had to tell them what you wanted. Um, and he was overwhelmed by the choices. Uh, so um, we, when we went to eat in the Zendo for the first time in the Zendo and we were trying to pass then the condiments down the row. And we had a tray with five or six little uh, pitchers and dishes of the milk and sugar. And this is before, you know, soy and, you know, almond. And this is just dairy. Um, and before, you know, it's so it's only gotten worse, you know. And uh, we tried passing it down the row, and then it just took forever for the condiments to pass down the row. So then we thought, well, we need more trays of condiments. 
So then we had more trays of condiments and we'd come in before the meal and put them down and we had a tray of condiments then for every three people. So honey or 50 little dishes of sugar and cream and honey and well, after two or three mornings of this, um, I was back in the kitchen and we heard that Suzuki Roshi wanted to talk to us, wanted to give a lecture. <clears throat> so he started talking and he said, I don't understand you Americans. When you put so much milk and sugar on your cereal, how will you taste the true spirit of the grain? And it just had never occurred to me that there was such a thing that you could taste the true spirit. Don't you just make everything taste the way you want it to? The way it's supposed to be? The way it should be? The way you want it to be? Don't you just make it taste that way? And then he, but, and, then, and, and then I was thinking this, and then he said, what do you think? At each moment of your life, you just put on milk and sugar so it's the way you want it? He said, I don't think you can do that. Why don't you taste the true spirit of the grain, why don't you taste your own true spirit? Why don't you taste the true spirit of the people, your friends, of the people who practicing with you? Why don't you taste things as they, and he used to say, instead of things as they are, he would say, why don't you taste things as it, it is? <laughs> it was a little playful. Things as it is. Uh, so um, we went back into the kitchen after that and we choiced that we didn't have to serve all these little dishes of condiments. And we decided then we would only serve gamachio, you know, uh, toasted sesame seed, ground the salt. And for a long time we made it by hand with uh, suribachi and uh, ceramic bowl and big wooden pestle. And then eventually we used uh, devices. Uh, we used for a long time a, uh, a, a kind of a grain grinder that's kind of like a meat grinder, but it grinds, but anyway. Um, and now they might make, use Cuisinart or something. Just, um, but this is, um, again, you know, why don't you taste the true spirit? And when we taste things carefully or experience anything carefully, you know, it's, it's our own preciousness, our own goodness that we taste. And it's our goodness, the goodness of life and the goodness of our friends. And we're tasting, you know, the heart of something. And when we taste and meet the heart of something, then we meet our own good heart. I tell the story in the book, you know, Zen is interested in the world and how to, how to act in the world. And also, you know, how to um, see inwardly. So another one of the stories I put in my book is, um, you know, my friend Gail Fronstel, who's both a Vipassana teacher and a Zen teacher, he, um, uh, and then his uh, Zen teacher is the same as mine now, Mel Weitzman. And um, uh, Gail uh, one year went to Japan for a month and then um, went to Southeast Asia for two or three months to study Vipassana. And he said, wherever you went, everybody loved to rake as a temple activity. And he said, in Japan, they say, when you rake, just rake. And in Southeast Asia, they say, when you rake, watch your mind. 
So, so I said in Japan, uh, you know, when you rake, just rake. They're they're raking and raking and raking, and sometimes the dust is coming out. And other people have told me, you know, when when you rake like that, you have to rake with everybody else. You don't. You have to stay with the group. You don't go off raking somewhere else where there might be more leaves to rake. You have to just stay. You just stay with everybody because you don't try to do. And that's what Suzuki should tell me about cooking. When you, when you wash the rice, wash the rice. When you cut the carrots, cut the carrots. When you stir the soup, stir the soup. Um, and in Southeast Asia, he said they just stand there with the rake in the hand. Busy watching their mind, and <laughs> I told that to uh, Mel, and uh, Mel said, "When they just stand there like that, they must still be thinking their minds are up here." <laughs> and um, so this is an uh, interesting point, of course, um, where it's in everything is mine, uh, and it's another way of saying, "Let things come home to your heart, let your heart go." And we're learning how to relate with things uh, both as though they're in the outer world and, and also how they're in our inner world and how to connect our inner world, our inner life with this outer world. How do we make that connection? And how do we share, um, you know, all part of one mind, so to speak, or good heart, thin heart, and we connect, uh, we learn how to connect with things. And so it's uh, wonderful to hear, um, like when I read Jungle's emails and people are, um, you know, doing chaplaincy and hospice and all kinds of work, uh, connecting the heart. So obviously cooking isn't the only way to do this. Hmm. Uh, so one more um, uh, story. Um, Oh, so, you know, this This also then is to say, you know, um, I called my book No Recipe, uh, and there's no recipe for how to do this, for each of us studying. Uh, and we start out, in our life it's important, how do we fit in uh, to the culture, into our family, how do we talk, how do we walk, how do we behave, so that we fit in and that we're part of the society. And of course, to do that, um, just like little Eddie Bear had to abandon um, parts of himself, we each have to abandon parts of ourselves in order to fit in and to not be uh, too loud or too outspoken or, um, you know. And sometimes as a child, all you need to do is um, say, Mommy, Mommy. And um, if Mommy's busy, Mommy might say, Stop being so obnoxious. Asking for mommy's attention was being obnoxious. And you learn not to ask anybody's attention because you don't deserve it. You don't deserve attention. You don't deserve uh, being seen. You don't deserve being heard. You should disappear. Or if you appear at all, then that's called obnoxious. So this kind of thing we learn growing up. And then we abandon parts of ourselves that are uh, looking to be seen, recognized, uh, met, 
So in Santa course, it's an important piece to, you know, live with the future, meet face to face, and be willing to be seen, to see and be seen, to met, to, you know. And I first had to learn to do this. It's scary to do this with people. I had, I learned to do this with food. <laughs> you know, you, uh, the radish, um, you know, I can share myself with the radish. And, and then I look and then I can, the radish is so orange and plump and uh, crunchy. And, and the radish isn't worried about not being an eggplant or why can't I be more like those? It's just, it's just sincerely what it is. And it's willing to be like that, you know, without comparison to anything. Without, and there's no recipe and there's no picture how it should be. And it's manifesting and expressing itself. And so each ingredient is like that in each of us is, can we be heard? Can we be recognized? Can we be mad? Are we willing to be? And from something inside, and you know, this uh, this is a big shift in our life from performing the way that we learn to perform so that we fit in, and to do that we've abandoned ourselves. And then, how do we go inside and find that there's inside there's a freedom and a spaciousness that can come out into the world and manifest in, in, in a number of ways. We share ourselves with the world. And then maybe we start you know, to paint or to play music or to cook. Uh, we start to spend more time with our family and friends. And we start to be willing to be seen in that. And this person, uh, you know, that it's it's a little bit challenging, you know, we're in that case vulnerable because we're not it's not ourselves as the picture of you know beyond reproach, beyond um, judgment. You know, just who we are and we we don't know what the world will do. So I or how the world will see us. And we're going to just be who we are, what we are, just like the biscuits. And then sometimes there'll be people who appreciate that. What's it? Wow. some friends, some other fellow students of the Dharma. Or sometimes the world is pretty reliable. My Dharma is pretty reliable. So, um, when I started, you know, when I was, um, even before the condiments at breakfast, I, um, when I first got to Tassana that year, uh, and since then her dad's going to be the cook, I was 21 or 22. And uh, the, the students who were already working in the kitchen, they said, we don't use salt here at Tassana. They said, you don't use salt? Why not? They said, salt is bad for you, you know. I said, how? Like, bad, how? But you know, salt is bad for you. Like, no, I don't know. Um, but it's still like this, of course, but in the 60s, it was like this. Um, 
biggest bad fear would be the one thing that would be bad for you. Who knows? I don't keep up. <laughs> uh, so I said to Suzuki, what am I going to do? I didn't know. Do I just go along and not use salt? Or do I say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to use salt? So I went and to ask, you know, the spiritual, the local spiritual authority, <laughs> what is his advice? And he said to me, uh, and you're the cook, you do what you want. So this is very interesting, you know, to be shifting from how can I behave in the way that the world wants to, how do I behave on my own authority, doing what I want. And my own authority is also known as, you know, my heart. It's also known as my felt sense, my own aesthetic. How can I behave, you know, from my own goodness, from my own heart, from my own aesthetic? And I'm cultivating that too, how to, how to understand things more and more about to, what is, um, you know, my offering, what am I here to offer, to share, to, with, with everyone. It's, it's my gift, it's my blessing, my love. And how can I make, you know, my love, my heart, my inside, how can I manifest? This is very much in keeping with Zen, even though so much of Zen is involved with do this and don't do that. And, um, and it goes along, by the way, then just to finish up here, but what Suzuki Rish is teaching, he used to say, we do formal practice with informal feeling. You know, there's the difference between um, people um, doing serious cultural and Suzuki Rishi. It's, it's formal, and it's your hands are where they, um, you know, are, you say, and then, but it's soft. There's a soft feeling. That's the feeling of the inside. There's soft feeling. So uh, this is again, you know, mostly we get confused between how you behave in the world, so that you're beyond reproach or reprimand. Uh, you can be judged accordingly, and then how do you, how do you how are you inside? And mostly, of course, when people do um, formal practice with formal feeling. What's going on inside? I don't know. You don't know. You're busy doing the form. And um, and then and then they say, that's Zen. And I don't think so, but you know, do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and see what you can find out and go from there and find out something else. Mm-hmm. Start someplace. Uh, okay. Anyway, much for um, being here at these various times of day and night. I appreciate this opportunity and uh, thank all of my venerable uh, friends here, students who come this morning to be with me here. And uh, I think we have time for some question and questions, answers, time, period. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to ask uh, the people here, if you have a question, don't be shy, raise your hand. We have people at home who are watching, and if they want to write me a question at uh, my email, jundotreleaf at gmail.com, I'll try to ask a few questions from folks at home. Uh, Who has a question or a comment? Don't be shy.
Ah, Kionin. Hi, Sensei. Uh, uh, thank you very much for being here. Um, I'm Mexican, and I am made of uh, tacos and food, and cooking is part of uh, our culture in a huge way. And I just want to thank you for your inspiration and to uh, spend some time with us uh, because cooking and Zen are pretty much alike because we nourish ourselves, we nourish our families, and we take care of everyone around us by just shutting our minds and focusing on uh, preparing our meals. So uh, for me, uh, your books and your, your documentary have been a great inspiration. So I don't have a question per se, but just wanted to, to express my gratitude for all you teach uh, to us in all over the world. Thank you. If I may say, uh, you have a beautiful face, a beautiful smile. I appreciate your sharing your, your smile with us. Thank you. I'm trying to learn how to smile a little more. There's, I get <laughs> sad and, you know, glum. So I, I want to, uh, I aspire to smile more. Another question from uh, one of our smiling people. <laughs> oh, I don't feel like one. <laughs> yeah, sing it. First of all, again, yes, thank you for being here. It's lovely, lovely talk. I was wondering, I really liked your um, your analogy, first of all, with economists. That was actually wonderful. And But I also liked at the very end when you were talking about finding um, that kind of place in between, you know, being kind of disruptive and not being disruptive and finding that balance. And one of the things that I see, I have a local sitting group, and it's interesting the challenge that I find sometimes with leading that group is how do you um, find that common place? So not having too many... Uh, condiments, not kind of trying to meet everybody's individualistic needs, but trying to have a, a common place that you can still kind of share and, and grow together. Because sometimes I find that really challenging because sometimes you, you get caught into all these different narratives or these different condiments. I wonder if you can elaborate a bit on that. Um, what can I say? You know, um, uh, I think life is messy. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, the uh, Suzuki Roshi's teaching, which is, you know, pretty basic, is, um, you know, if you find a good teaching, um, you know, follow it. So if you find something new, you follow it. But he said, always um, be open to trying something else and to see, you know, see what you can find out. So, uh, and essentially, then you keep trying different things over time and, and notice if it does this make sense. And so you're always, um, you continue, you don't have a way that uh, just works. Um, in similar vein, we used to say, uh, oh, and by the way, I'm reminded of, um, you know, the business of um, being between formal and, you know, uh, a little bit um, uh, lively or different or something. 
Uh, he used to say, Chasahara used to say, um, some of you are trying to be good Zen students. Why don't you be yourself? I'll get to know you better that way. <laughs> so, you know, he made this distinction between being a good Zen student and being yourself. And But during a Zen group, um, you know, um, there's a way we do things because then it just, it's just, it's harmonious, it's easy, it's, it's flowing, it's smooth. We don't have to try to figure out, do we do this, do we do that? And then we're talking about it and, uh, and what's the right, and then people get involved in what's the right way to do it. And that's not right. And then um, you know, that's not what I want and so on. So um, the nice thing about the forms, for instance, is then we can all come into the Zendo and we sit and then you can have, and ironically, you know, um, people say Zen has so many forms and rituals um, and um, Vipassana is so free, you know, we don't, we don't have to bow, we don't have to chant, you know, and we don't have to wear those funny clothes. Um, <laughs> but actually in Vipassana, they tell you what to do in meditation. Note, practice noting, in, out, in, out, note. Uh, sensation, you know, note, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, come back to your breath, and you do this, and you do that, and then you do this, and, and if you have a Vipassana romance or a Vipassana vendetta, you know, then note, pleasant, unpleasant, aversion, grasping. <laughs> so they're actually telling you what to do all the time. And then, but, but in Zen, because we have a few forms, we can be, then have the experience you have, but just outwardly, Follow the forms, and we can all have our own experience then. And we don't tell you what to do. And then you get to make it up. <laughs> so how good is that? So partly this is also then something to do with, um, you know, teaching people to appreciate the form and, you know, how we do things here. <laughs> it's not that it's the right way. It's just how we're doing it here so that we can practice harmoniously together and have your own experience and you can like it or not. See what you can find out. Of course, you get to do what you want. And you can respect that and whatever. So if you want to do that, you know, go practice with Bosna. I mean, it's okay. I'm still, by the way, burning incense here. Except for when one of my students comes, you know, and if she's here, then, you know, she always starts coughing and sneezing and wheezing. So we finally figured out it's the incense. So if Maria comes, no incense. Otherwise, I'm still burning incense. You know, Zen Center is offering flower petals and, because that's because we don't want to, you know, we want to make it possible for everybody to practice. No sense, not everything, you know. So but anyway, this is it's a very interesting point. Um, um, we have enough of form that we can be together and have our own experience. And having our own experience is um, not the same as having the experience that you want to have, you know, the food, the way you want to have it, etc. Having your own experience means you appreciate, you don't appreciate, you like it, you don't like it, you taste it carefully, you don't taste it carefully, you, you know, you um, gobble, 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 or you don't know what to do with it, and so on, you know, so... You get to have your experience, and it doesn't mean, though, that it's the one that you 
Thank you for bringing that up, sir. <laughs> Thank you for the answer. Thank you. Uh, I have Sorry. a uh, I have a question from someone at home, who uh, Catherine, who writes. Uh, first off, thank you. And uh, she has uh, one of the, uh, I'm not sure which of the Tassahara books, but she uh, just asks, I have one question. Vegetarianism? Yes, no. I guess she's asking if you have to be vegetarian uh, to practice this way. What do you say? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you a Suzuki Rishi story. It's one of the most well-known stories about him, and you know, at least from my point of view, it's one of the most well-known. But uh, one day, uh, Suzuki Rishi went to town with this, one of the students from Tassahara. You know, Tassahara is at least two hours from Carmel. Uh, it's you know about an hour to go over the 14-mile dirt road, up 3,000 feet, down 3,000 feet. Uh, you can't do it all year round, but you know, a lot of the year we can. And, uh, and then it's another hour, you know. Uh, into Carmel, so a couple of hours to get, you know, and to do, you know, to get to town to do some shopping to buy groceries, you know. Anyway, uh, so he went into town, and the student was a uh, an avid, avid vegetarian, and you know, was uh, very and Tassaharas, of course, were eating vegetarian food, but still, um, he was. Um, outspoken about this is important that the world be vegetarian and so on. So, and Suzuki Roshi is following, you know, the Zen, Japanese Zen, eat what you're served. And if you go out to a restaurant, order off the menu. If you're at somebody's house, eat what you serve, what you serve. Don't tell them you're vegan or vegetarian or something. Just let them serve you what they serve. And, you know, if they ask, you can tell them. But if they're not asking, they're just offering you something. And you eat it. And they, the only advice that, you know, he was following was in the, uh, that, uh, which is traditional Buddhist, if, some, if the meat is killed for you, then you, you shouldn't eat meat that's killed for you. Or you shouldn't have meat killed for you. But if you go to the restaurant, if you go to somebody's house, order off the menu, eat what you serve. So... Suzuki Rishi was in town with his student, they did some shopping, and then they, Suzuki Rishi said, you know, let's have lunch, let's, let's stop for lunch somewhere. So the student, being a vegetarian, he starts looking for, well, where can I have a, a vegetarian lunch? And this is the 60s, you know, there's not, there's not like there's little restaurants and things. Um, so not so long after that, Suzuki Rishi said, let's eat there, and it was a, it was a diner. Um, and so they went into the diner and they sat in a booth and across from each other and uh, they looked at the menu and the student was very relieved. Finally, down the bottom of the menu, it said grilled cheese sandwich, which, of course, wouldn't have been possible if he was vegan. But in those days, just being vegetarian, it was okay. <laughs> so that, oh, great, I can have a grilled cheese sandwich. And Suzuki Roshi said, hamburger double meat. <laughs> and then um, and then after a while the food came and they each took a bite and Roshi said to the student how's, how's, your, how's your sandwich and the student said oh it's, it's good it's good it's fine it's, it's good 
And Richard said, I don't like mine. Let's switch. And he grabbed the plates and moved them. <laughs> so then the student, it turned out, was a little more devoted to Suzuki Roshi than whether he ate meat or not. <laughs> so to do what his teacher said, then he ate the, um, they had switched the food, so then he ended up eating a hamburger double meat. Um, anyway, you see, this never happens anymore. Now, the students tell the teachers, you need to be vegan. You know, you can't do this. You know, you can't eat meat. You can't even be vegetarian. You, the students now tell the teachers. Teachers don't tell students anything anymore. <laughs> you know? I'm sorry. But the way it is that, you know, they explained this to me at the Zen Center. We can't tell the cooks anything. They just, they, they're going to cook what they cook. And they know they're cooking the right thing when they cook vegan food. That's the right thing to have. Everybody should be vegan. This is saving the world. Um, and, you know, on and on. And, um, but so nowadays, Suzuki Roshi is no longer with us. And the vegans are will rule. <laughs> as far as I can tell, I don't know. But um, so anyway, uh, in, my, in my world, I, you know, I was mostly vegetarian all those years at the Zen Center, 20 years. You know, eating at the Zen Center most of the time, so you, you eat the food that I was eating with served, and so vegetarian. And then when you're on a sleep deprivation, uh, Zen life, sleep deprivation, and working hard, um, then and you, you survive basically on uh, sugar and caffeine. And then, you know, I don't know about other people, but I, where is the next, where are the next plate, plate of cookies and the next cup of coffee? And you know, I would have five, six, seven cups of coffee a day. And, you know, and when you have that much caffeine after the fifth or sixth cup, you just, you drink your coffee and you fall asleep immediately. You can't, it doesn't work. Um, and then after a number of years, another 10, 15, 20 years outside of the Zen Center, you're like, I can't do this anymore. And one day I stopped at Marin Sun Farms where they have, you know, well-raised beef and meat. <laughs> It's out of the pasture and, you know, no GMO and, you know, good feed and grass and you know, whatever. And so then I, I bought some ground beef and it was so good. And then I felt so good. And then it turned out if I ate meat, I wasn't trying to snack all day long. So anyway. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm in the school of find out for yourself. You're the cook and you listen to everybody and what they have to say. And then you try things for yourself and you see what works for you today. Not, not what works for you when you were 20 or 30, um, but what, what works for you today? All right. We're all going out for ribs and burgers after this. Um, <laughs> anyone else uh, have a question? We're going, we're going in for um, some sticky buns and, you know, coffee. So we're going the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> yes, any more questions? Any Anybody? questions? We have, we have a group here too. Yeah, yeah. Questions? Comments? Okay. I have one from uh, Matthew at home. He's saying, uh, this is Matthew. I have a question for Reverend Brown. First, please thank him for, for me for joining us and sharing his understanding with us. Second, I'm wondering what he would say about what role, if any, fasting 
can play in our practice? Fasting. I find it, you know, I think the basic principle here is, again, uh, see what you can find out. So, um, you know, in a different vein from the story about Suzuki Rishi and the vegetarian and the switching the cheese, the, the grilled cheese with the meat, another student at Tassahara was only eating uh, the food in the third bowl. So it's like a kind of fasting, but it just for the sake of the story, um, the student was only eating the third bowl. And the other students would say, you know, you're supposed to eat what you're served. And you're supposed to take some food for each bowl. The earliest tradition in Buddhism is, of course, to go out begging. If you go out begging, you don't say, I want this and I don't want that. You receive food. Hmm. So um, he was eating it. And finally, Suzuki Roshi called him in and said, I hear you have uh, an unusual eating practice in, in Zendo. And uh, what's going on? And my friend said, I'm only eating the food in the third bowl. And Siddhartha Rishi said, well, what's, the, what's that about? And he said, I want to find out what happens if I only eat the food in the third bowl. <laughs> <laughs> the food in the third bowl was the most likely to be a salad or fruit. In other words, he was eating, it was like being vegan, you know, uh, without, so he wasn't eating carbohydrates uh, which or dairy, which were more likely to be in the first and second bowl. And Suzuki Rishi said, oh, that's great. You should always be finding out. You should always be seeing what you can find out. If he had said, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm only eating, I'm not eating carbohydrates. They're bad for you. I'm not eating dairy. That's not good. He didn't say that. He said, I'm going to see what I can find out. So I think fasting uh, is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful practice. Um, and, uh, and again, it's good to something like that, to do something like that, to see what you can find out rather than, uh, uh you know, have a, a gaining idea, you know, I mean, all of Zen and Suzuki Roshi emphasize, you know, set aside your gaining ideas and do, um, you know, practice, see what you can find out. So coincidentally with all of that, I've, um, you know, I've weighed a little bit more than I, it's not that I mind being, you know, having a belly. Um, it's that I haven't, you know, felt as energetic as I thought I would if I had weighed a little less. And finally, I thought, well, why don't I skip one meal a day? And I started losing weight. And then I found out this is called intermittent fasting. <laughs> and this is actually an official, this is actually an official plan. And there's, there's people who are promoting it. And the interesting thing about, of course, the people promoting it is, you know, and the idea is that if the, the longer you fast, like, and the simplest thing is to skip uh, breakfast or, or breakfast and lunch and just eat uh, lunch and dinner or dinner. And the longer you fast, then the more likely that your body burns, um, uses up the sugar. And when your bloodstream no longer has insulin, then your body will start burning fat for energy, you know, stored fat for energy rather than trying to burn sugar for energy. So, um, uh, and that has to do with the fasting. So then, then the, you know, how between meals. Um, so I, um, I'm trying this out now. It's been a couple of months and I've actually lost a little bit of weight 
And I feel so much better. I feel more energy. And you know, so I'm finding out things. And I'm also finding have all the little snacks around that I was snacking on. And I had already switched the snacks from cookies and crackers to, you know, nuts. And my my diabetic friends say the best nuts are macadamia, so you should get macadamia nuts and so on. You know, so, so anyway, I keep trying things out, finding out what I can find out. And by the way, just one other story about that. One of my students, um, uh, Daniel Parker, has actually listened to over 300 of my lectures and put together a book of talks. It's going to come out in one year. And that's called The Most Important Point. But Danny's son weighed over about my height, 5'8", 5'9", weighed over 300 pounds. And he couldn't figure out what to do with it. And finally he decided, he heard about this intermittent fasting and he's only been eating dinner. And he's lost over 150, uh, over, not 150, but over 125 pounds. So he's now weighs a little less than I do. He's skinny. Um, but he's now he has his energy, his vitality, and 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 he has a kind of sense of himself and his capacity to make decisions and to know what he wants and what he doesn't want. That came from you know um, the you know from his experience with fasting and not eating until then. Anyway, it's all pretty interesting. So sure, see what you can find out. Um, we have another question from our people sitting here. Jack or Dan? Um, I sometimes wonder, we talk about um, how when we do Oriyoki, um, everyone eats together and you have to finish pretty quickly. You know, you have only so much time to finish what's in your bowl and it kind of goes down fast. And in our meal chant, um, we say this is medicine for nourishment of our practice. And um, how do you reconcile that with, um, you know, how you try to cook and flavor and add salt and spices and um, basically make a meal that tastes good or is enjoyable? Um, how do you feel about, um, you know, enjoying what you're eating flavor-wise versus, you know, the attitude and zen of, you know, this is best and, and don't get too attached to it? Well, I think um, that when it's not just zen, but the whole tradition is that uh, go, you know, be careful of the senses. Um, but um, I think it's possible uh, you know, ease and enjoyment are two of the factors of mental one-pointedness, of, you know, absorption and mental, you know, concentration. So I think that, um, you know, ease and joy are two of the five factors of absorption. You know, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, adhering, uh, continuous adherence, um, concentration, and then ease and joy. So you actually need ease and joy for concentration. Uh, and as many spiritual traditions then are worried about the fact that you might have sensual, sensuous experience where you not only have joy, but you have greed or lust or uh, some grasping. Uh, enjoyment doesn't involve grasping. So to me, it's you're studying how to eat with enjoyment. And uh, I think it's important, you know, that you... Um, 
and I've been practicing for many years, and, you know, please enjoy your food. And the more you enjoy your food, then you notice when it's not enjoyable. Um, and uh, then you don't eat too much. And when you're in the Zendo uh, and you're enjoying the food, uh, you actually can eat, you eat, you end up eating uh, less than you might otherwise um, because of the limited time. But because you've enjoyed it, you feel satisfied. And I think enjoyment is part of what um, makes the food satisfying and nourishing aside from the particular kind of food or etc. So I, um, to me, the problem is not the sensuous quality of food or, you know, you should just uh, swallow it without tasting it. Um, but the problem is, uh, you know, is this, the study is how to be open to things, but not, but then notice uh, grasping or aversion uh, and, and the behaviors that you um, that you get involved with when you, um, are no longer enjoying. So I have a chapter in my book about early on at Chasahara when we we were making all this bread, we were making yeasty bread, and in those days we didn't have vegans, we had macrobiotics. And the Zen macrobiotics didn't want to have yeasty bread because in their world it was too yin, it's too yin. They had the macrobiotics, of course, were first yin and yang, and um, too yin meant it was too expansive, and usually that's considered to be the yang aspect, the expansiveness. But um, anyway, um, so then they wanted us to have also unused bread. So we had used bread, unused bread, and we would serve baskets. And we would, each of us, you know, young men in their 20, 16 or 18 have homemade bread. It's a lot. And in order to eat that much in the period of time in the Zendo, you had to concentrate on getting rid of what was in your mouth. <laughs> and the more that you could get rid of what was in your mouth, in other words, swallow it, and the faster you could do that, the more that you could eat. And that seemed to be what was important. Um, and so to me, it's more important to have a healthy relationship with your experience, receiving the food and tasting it and chewing it and enjoying it, than it is to um, have the right experience. I don't know, I, would, I, I go for the healthy experience. Um, so to me, it's more healthy uh, to enjoy, taste, savor, uh, chew, um, and, I, and, and I, I, it was a big change for me, and then you know, over the years, it took a while, but you know, everyone began to change then. Um, moving, shifting from being greedy and trying to eat more and um, we were all hungry. We were starved. But, you know, that's also Zen. You should have it some problems. And see what you can find out when you have problems. But yeah, I'm, I'm in favor of um, taste, savor, enjoyment. And enjoyment again. One of the five factors of absorption and Dogen, of course, in the who comes to Zendi? He said, uh, Zazen is the Dharma gate of ease and enjoyment. And ease, uh, you know, being at home in your body, in the world, in your heart. So that being at home here, uh, and how, can you, how to make yourself at home, how to make others at home. It's so important. And then, so being at home is more important than. Know, 
And how to be at home means you know you have a human experience, not that you have. Uh, you don't, you know, and, and to me anyway, it doesn't make sense. Just to be sure you don't have greed, uh, don't have the sensory experience. <laughs> I think that's possible. I mean, you know, you can do that, but I don't know. It's, it's sort of like another way to abandon yourself. I know you have uh, cinnamon buns in the oven. Do you have time for one more question? Um. We went out shopping for those today, so they're not in the oven. Thank you, though, for the thought. You mean you're having Maybe we'll have some ripe, dry, ripe rice. I have to say I'm a little shocked that you're having store-bought biscuits, but it completely blows my image. But anyone has one last question there? Okay, I, I have a question from home. It's it's a little a little more serious, um, and that's what what it's about. It's from Lee, and he says, uh, uh, "Thank you, uh, Reverend Brown." And you you've seen a lot of uh, Zen uh, history in in America uh, from the '60s until now. Uh, what are the big changes uh, you've seen, and how are we doing in the Zen world? <laughs> 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 uh, sometimes I feel um, <laughs> I, that, that's actually the beginning of a poem, you know, by Juan Raymond Jimenez. Sometimes I feel so. I'll tell you that poem first, and then we'll go on to the Zen thing. <laughs> sometimes I feel my ship has struck something deep beneath the surface. And nothing happens. Nothing. Silence waves. Nothing happens, or has everything happened? And we sit here calmly in the. So uh, sometimes I'm reminded of a story that Jack Hornfield used to tell um, about how they were trying to figure out how to do costing here in America and, and, you know, people had different ideas. Uh, and then finally, I think they may have had to meet with a facilitator and finally the facilitator said to them, uh, you know, let's ask, um, you know, like if, if, if we, if we, we, we have the conservatives and we have the liberals or we have the people who want you know, to have an established way to do it, and then we want to have the we have people who, you know, or you can do it your own way, and whatever it is. And um, so, uh, and in Zen, it's the same, you know. Um, if there's a group, um, and especially the bigger the group, then they're trying to do the, you know, that Zen group, they're trying to do the real Zen. The real Zen. And like, they're going to follow Suzuki Roshi's way. But of course, following Suzuki Roshi's way is following Suzuki Roshi in 1971. And they don't have the idea of still talking to with him about how he would do it today. Um, and uh, so it's not clear what Suzuki Roshi would be doing today. But also he said, all I can teach you is the Zen I learned. 
in Japan that I grew up with. That's all I know. So I'm going to teach you that. And here in America, then, uh, you're going to figure out how to do American Zen and how to grow Zen here in America. But then there's some people who are like, they're still trying to, they're trying to do Zen, like in Japan, and it's only Zen if you have the, if you have the clothes, the, 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 the Zendo, the Christians, and Zen, you know, but little by little, we're going to be doing American Zen, Mexican Zen, Ukrainian Zen. We're going to do Zen the way it fits in each of these places. And so, um, this is all very interesting. And um, so, but what they found out, you see, as soon as you ask the, the one side to leave, now, how much does the rest of you change? How much do you, you have to include? Now, you, now it's up to you to include that view. You know, if they're not here, somebody should be carrying on the traditional way of practicing Zen. And if they're not doing it, oh, well, maybe I, I, maybe I would have to do it then. <laughs> so I say, thank you for carrying on your traditional Zen practice. <laughs> <laughs> so I can be out here being you know, me and them in my group and doing what I do. And, you know, at my sessions, we do Qigong three times a day. Because I think just sitting, your energy just gets so stuck. So, but, you know, I don't try to tell them you should all be doing Qigong. You know, I know you're doing your traditional Zen, and I don't know what happened to Qigong and yoga in Japan, you know. Um, and the Chinese apparently had, you know, Qigong. And, and, and they, they had movement practices in Tai Chi, Qigong, and so I do that, and... Um, so um, I'm, I'm busy doing the Zen that I want to be doing, and, um, and I get to call it Zen because, I, because I've been authorized to. <laughs> so, um, and Jindo has been busy authorizing people to, you know, have their life be Zen or the everyday life that they're living. This, and we're going to, this is the temple. This is, you know, my life is the temple of my life, and I, I will... You know, a basic Zen, establish your core, you know, in sitting. Our, our, uh, sangha the, is, our Sangha is rigidly traditional. Isn't that right, everyone? <laughs> rigidly. Rigidly, key word. <laughs> That's, I don't know how traditional that is to be rigid. <laughs> I'm going to uh, say thank you and let you get to your store-bought buns, cinnamon buns, <laughs> uh, this morning. I would like uh, everyone uh, to offer gasho uh, to Eddie Bear Roshi. Uh, elbows perfectly at 90 angles, please. At 90 degree angles, please. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Venerable. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. May, may we call you Eddie Bear Roshi? Is that all right? You're the first. You're the first. I'm honored, I'm honored with your with your epitaph. Is that an would epitaph? You, yes. Would you uh, show the book one more time? And I, I believe you mentioned that if uh, there was a link, if they write you directly, you will you will sign it for folks. If, if they go to the Peaceful City Sangha, 
there's a web store and then and then they can email me and I will sign it and send it out. For the same price as Amazon. I include sales tax whether you're in California or not. Anyway, you're welcome, thank you. So you can order it from me or you can you can go to Amazon or Amazon.de, you know, or wherever you are. Anyway, you you know who to order books from, wherever you are. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you, everyone, and uh, we'll say uh, good morning, good night. So please come back yeah. again sometime with your uh, next uh, next uh, opportunity. Well, that's about, you know, this book took 10 years, so, you know, it could be a while. We'll <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody give a wave. Waves. See you all later. Uh, Thank you, Rosh. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.